Janie, how would you like me to announce your name? Uh, J- my name, Janie Canarella. Janie Canarella. I'm just yeah, checking. Just, no, I know the story pretty well. It's like kind of like unforgettable to live with a roommate that has like a full psychotic break from reality. Maybe he's on drugs. We don't know. Like as much as I tried to repress it, I guess that like I could kind of point out the moments where I am like also the delusional one in the story, which starts relatively early on in the story. Hey, Matt LeBlanc here. So Janie had a new roommate move in, a guy that started off nice, but eventually went off the deep end. And as much as Janie tried to fight it, this was inconvenient. Here's Janie. Scott has been doing now very many crazy things. Things that are just outside of the realm of what seems like normal drug use to me. But I'm not too weirded out. I, like, I, I'm finding it more humorous than anything. The necessary delusion being like I necessarily absolutely needed to believe that everything was going to be fine. Because otherwise I would have been like, time for me to get the fuck out of this apartment. Your necessary delusion. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I'm your host, Matt LeBlanc, and I almost missed today's recording because I was so busy dancing in a fountain with my friends. This is Your Necessary Delusion, the storytelling show that celebrates vulnerability and speaks to the darkest, messiest little parts of your heart about the lies that we tell ourselves every day, the stories that we use to get out of bed, the fantasies that we let propel our lives. And if we are speaking to you, then please subscribe to the podcast. But you most likely already do. I will be very transparent with you, Earth Monster. At the time I am recording this show, we have roughly 80 dedicated listeners every week. 8-0. Small but mighty. Which is encouraging considering I am right around my 10th episode mark. But I need you to do me a favor. I want you to think about someone that you know. Someone who either loves podcasts or loves self-examination. Or maybe they love people or storytelling. Someone who will be turned on by this show. I want you to send them a link. Just send them your favorite episode. Help us find our people. Because this show is my necessary delusion. It is my mission. And maybe I will make 100 episodes of this and I will still only have 80 of you out there listening. And if I do, that will be fine. Delusion! But I believe there is a much larger community out there who will get excited about the conversation that we're starting here. So if you are down with us, help us find our people. That is my spiel. Thanks. Oh, we've got a great story for you today, folks. It is a fun one to listen to, even if the people in it are not having fun. And just a quick trigger warning, there will be some discussion of drugs, violence, and mental health issues. Not super graphic, but you know your sensitivity, so if that stuff isn't for you, then now is probably a good time to leave. And for the rest of you, strap in. Let's hear from Janie. So I was 23 years old. I had just moved back to the like Philadelphia suburbs. I guess like my necessary delusion at that point was that I was a kind of rudderless person. I didn't have any sort of like great ambition for myself at the time. She had just graduated college for writing at the time. She tried to go back to California where she's from, but she decided to return to her college town in suburban Philadelphia to make a go of it. I wasn't like delusionally being like, I'm gonna be the next famous writer or like amazing artist. I was just like, I'm gonna have a job and be a self-sufficient person. Delusion! Which in its own right was like kind of delusional. I was living with my best friend, Sean, who had given me a room in his apartment. He's been my best friend for like a hundred million years. We've known each other since freshman year of college. 
This is an older story. Janie and Sean had just graduated college at the time. Like everyone in their early 20s, when they're transitioning to like different phases of their life, we're all really broke. We're all hard up to make sure that we can pay the rent money. And our previous roommate had just moved out and Sean met someone at work that he like vouched for. He said it was very cool. God, I'm probably, I'm not going to use his real name. What's a good fake name? How about Scott? Let's say Scott. Okay. So for the sake of this story, Sean introduces me to Scott, who is a waiter at Friday's. TGI Friday's, the chain restaurant. Sean was a bartender there. And at the time, Scott was a waiter. So Scott was moving in to be the third roommate in Janie and Sean's two-bedroom apartment to help cover the rest of the rent. He was also going to be like our weed connection too. He he like grew weed in, in closets and was like a dealer. So he had like more than enough money. That was really what we were concerned about. Like we really need someone that can pay the rent. So he moved in. He was like just shy of six feet. He's like slightly chubby. He dressed like someone who was like a really big fan of Kevin Smith. You know, like Kevin Smith movies. You know the look. Nerdy, lots of ill-fitting jeans and hoodies. Kevin Smith is, of course, the slacker filmmaker, also known as Silent Bob, of Jay and Silent Bob. Scott was like one of his disciples. He was a perfectly normal and nice person. He was a well-respected waiter who got tons of tips and stuff. He's just like a nice, even-keeled, very even-tempered person. Really laid back, super nice. He and Janie didn't have much in common. They had opposite schedules too. The routine for me was that I work nine to five at this administrative assistant job. It was like a home office. We worked in nurse staffing. Meanwhile, Scott was a part-time waiter at Fridays and usually worked in the evenings. They didn't see much of each other, which was fine. Janie had her own bedroom, even if it was tiny, and Scott was supposed to be sharing the master bedroom with Sean. It was like a huge, huge master bedroom, so they had like two beds in there. For the most part, Sean would sleep on the couch in the living room. We lived together when we were in college, so I knew that Sean was the sort of person that would kind of urban sprawl throughout an apartment. He'd start off on one place and then like kind of migrate towards others. Because of the various shifts in like the service industry, especially because Sean was a bartender, so he always closed. So Scott had kind of a weird little lair in the back of the, the apartment. So to be clear, Sean is Janie's best friend who unofficially sleeps in the living room on the couch. And Scott is the new roommate who occupied the master bedroom with his two cats. It's a red brick, terrible apartment. The second floor, we, like you enter into it and there's like a big living room, which is where everyone would hang out. And oftentimes where Sean would sleep on the couch. The first door to the left was my bedroom, which was really, really small, like right across. So the doors faced each other. It was the bathroom and like a couple of feet back was the master bedroom. Janie didn't know much about what Scott did in the back bedroom. Working in nurse staffing was a brutal schedule and an even worse commute. It took two trains and a bus for me to get there. So we're talking like wow. well over an hour commute. So I would be up by six and out of the house before seven. And then I'd come home at around like six. And this brings us to Janie's necessary delusion. See, Janie is the kind of person who always keeps a very full plate. She's got a crazy work ethic and she's interested in a lot of things. She just can't seem to help herself. I got two master's degrees before the age of 34. What are your master's in? My first master's is in education with a certification in information technology, as well as an extra 20 credits, like master's degree credits towards comparative literature. And the school has to tell me that I had to graduate because I thought maybe if I just took all the classes, I could get two masters in one. Delusion! And they're like, that's wow. not how that works. And then my second master's is an MFA in creative writing. Wow. What's your undergrad in? It's in English Lit. At the time that we recorded this interview, she's in her 30s now, she is a working published writer. She works full time as a social worker 
and she produces her own monthly subscription-based mini literary magazine called Hoot Review. She has a few hundred subscribers that she distributes art and literature to about 16 times a year. We'll hear more about that later. But in order to keep this ship moving, Janie requires one thing above all else. Crystal meth. No. Sleep. Sleep is my number one priority. Not getting sleep for me is a bone crusher I can't get through the day. So at the time of our story, when Janie was 23 and commuting 90 minutes to and from work every day on two trains and a bus, good sleep was non-negotiable in her life. As she was saying, she worked at a nurse staffing company from a home office, and her boss was a character. And by character, I mean she didn't have a lot of boundaries. She was a former nurse. No shame in her game. She would wear, like, robes in the office, and then she'd make me sing to her dogs all the time. And, like, then eventually started to devolve into, like, her spending half the time in the office listening to libertarian radio. There was a lot of crazy stuff happening at this one time with, like, the people surrounding me. We don't really need to get into that. Essentially, it was an administrative assistant position. And I'll be processing it until... I die. Her days were long, her commute was long, two trains and a bus to get to work in the morning, and two trains and a bus to get home every night. She was exhausted by the time she would get home, and like a lot of us, she became very accustomed to her routine. Pajamas, dinner, TV, bed, repeat. Pajamas, dinner, TV, bed, repeat. And on this particular day, she was pushed to realize the links that she would go to to maintain this routine. So I'm on the final lap of the commute home. So I'd say I'm probably like 15 minutes away from getting to the train station and Sean calls me and he was like, hey, uh, don't go back to the apartment. And I was like, oh, that is extremely strange. Like one, because he wasn't at work and he should have been at that time, like at around five, he should have been on the schedule. And I was like, all right, um, ominous. Uh, what's going on? And then he was like, Scott is acting really weird. So I don't think we should go back there. He's like, I'll meet you at the train station. So when the train pulls up, Sean is like at the platform and he's pacing. And I was like, hey, man, what's up? And he is like, so Scott has lost his mind. And I was like, I don't really totally know what that means. And he's like, he showed up to work and was like acting as though he wasn't at the place that he was. Sean was saying that he was like speaking to people, but he wasn't able to communicate in a way where it was like he was he was knowledgeable of the person that he was talking to. And I was like, all right, you know, like, he likes to experiment with hallucinogens. So like, maybe he didn't have like an appropriate babysitter or took more than like the microdose that he thought he was going to. And like, it'll wear off. And he was like, yeah, but he's at the apartment now and he's doing all of the same sorts of stuff. Scott was being weird and aggressive at work for whatever reason, drugs or mental health stuff. We're not debating the nuances of those things today. We're only here to talk about Janie's necessary delusion. But he was acting in a threatening manner and he got sent home from his shift at TGI Fridays. So at this point, Sean wants to leave to go to our friend's house. You know how you always have like the friends that are like more mature and evolved than you are when you're early 20s. So Sean had uh, like friends that were married and owned a home. And he was like, I think I'm going to go there. And I was like, we're not going to leave our apartment. That's ridiculous. Like, what are we going to do? Cede control of the apartment over to him? And I was like, whatever he's doing, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be that big of a deal. We'll just like chill. It'll be fine. Delusion. So that's how it starts. Janie was done with her day. She had done the commute twice. She had sung to her boss's dogs. And she'd been up since six. And it was time for... Pajamas, dinner, TV, bed, repeat. End of story. So the idea that her new roommate, who she hardly paid attention to, was now doing something that Sean thought should disrupt her routine? That was not a part of her story. 
Scott was a harmless recreational drug user. He was probably just experimenting with some new mushrooms. Ta -ta delusion. Now that was her story. He liked like mild hallucinogens. I knew that he liked, he liked shrooms and I think he liked LSD. So Sean wants to go to our friend's house. And I was like, I'm not going to go there. I had just gotten done with like a really long commute, like an extremely tedious job. And the last thing that I wanted to do was get back on a train to go commute again, to not go to my home. The whole point of getting a roommate was that like, we wouldn't have to do this like weird couch surfing existence that we would have like some sort of place to go back to. I was like, that's, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> We're going to go home. I'm not going to carry all this shit with me. Like my personal, like the files that I've got and like, um, I want to go home. Like, you know, like I want to put on my, my sweats. I want to watch Animal Planet. I want to go to bed. That was a lot of once. I want to go home. I want to put on my sweats. I want to watch Animal Planet. I want to go to bed. And that was the necessary delusion. That was the story that she had been thinking about since the 4 p.m. caffeine crash. Just power through it. Tonight, you're going to go home and put on sweats and sit on the couch and veg. Delusion! You know what she's talking about, Earth Monster. That routine delusion. It gets ingrained in us. It's like muscle memory. You don't even think about it. You unconsciously expect it. It's that delusion that says you know what's going to happen next because you have done it a thousand times before. And the reason you have done it a thousand times is because you love it. You don't even realize how much you're looking forward to it until something threatens to take it away. You're unlocking your door with an order of delicious Thai takeout, and suddenly your neighbor wants to vent about meh meh meh. You're not even listening to them. You're thinking about that Thai food. You start fidgeting and cursing them out in your head. Your stomach starts grumbling even though you're not really that hungry. You start having this little mini tantrum, and you can tell because you're leaning really hard on one hip. Because you didn't even realize that you were in the middle of acting out this little story that you love until someone interrupts it. Janie won the battle. Sean agreed they would go home. We get back to the apartment. Like, I don't find anything weirdly ominous about it. Like, I just go home. And you can always bet that nothing is ever gonna seem ominous when you are this hellbent on ignoring anything ominous. They're scuttling in the closed, like, back bedroom door. Like, you could hear motion happening in the back bedroom. But I, I still didn't care. I was like, I'm tired. I don't want to have to think about this. I don't want to have to think about this. I was like, let's go make some like box macaroni and cheese and like watch behind the music or like pop up video and like not think about our problems. It's fine. He's he's like doing a thing. We don't have to worry about it. Hopefully he'll just like sleep it off. The time will be our best friend in this like situation. Delusion, yeah. How's Sean feeling at this point? He is still apprehensive. Like, he is still very much on edge. But with, like, the presence of more bodies, he seems to be more chilled out. And since I am completely uncaring at this point, he is, like, more chilled out. So that is how the evening starts. I go back into my room. I get changed. Like, whatever jammies I want to wear. We get dinner together and we, like, have the television on while this, like, scuttling is going on in the back room. So then we're like settling in for the evening, we're eating dinner, we're watching television, and that's when Scott emerges from the back bedroom. I can tell that Sean is immediately tense because he's an extremely extroverted person that gets a lot of energy from other people. So, you know, like the actual definition of what an extrovert is, he picks up on, on like the, the tensions of other people and then instead of internalizes it, externalizes it back to them. So he is avidly not making eye contact and he is like studying like whatever we're watching on VH1 
extremely adamantly. Jamie thought this was particularly funny because Sean was a big dude, bigger than Scott. But Sean just studied that pop-up video and Scott stood in front of them, not saying anything. I was like, hey, buddy, to Scott, who was now just like silently standing in the living room. But I mean, he doesn't look physically disposed, you know, like he he's like, he's dressed, he's showered, he's not disheveled. He seems like a little erratic in his physicality. A lot of like jerking eye contact where he was like looking at a lot of stuff around the apartment, like just trying to, he's like looking at visual cues, like darting his eyes around everything. And, you know, like also it's generally not in the mode of anyone that I've never lived with. When someone enters a room, generally like a verbal prompt is like provided or a hello, anything. So he just like came in and was like very silent. So that's when I was like, hey, Scott, like, how's it going? And he still doesn't say anything for a moment. But I'm not too weirded out. I like, I'm finding it more humorous than anything. Yeah, right. I don't know. Whatever. This is just one of those kooky things that happens. Kooky things, also known as real life. Don't forget, I'm not judging. I'm an extremely delusional person. I'm empathizing. The first thing he says is like, how many cats do I have? One or two? He has two cats. And I was like, you've got two. And he was like, well, then there's like a third one coming in and shitting on the beds. And I was like, well, I don't think like cats are sneaking into our second story apartment to like viciously defecate on your bed. I was like, I think that's probably one of yours. And like, so clearly now something is off. I was just like, it's probably drugs. Not big of a deal. Like some drugs. It's happening, you know. But again, I'm like, I'm not too worried about it. The behavior continues, and he's feeling pretty paranoid about these cats. If he is on drugs, he's on some pretty strong stuff because he doesn't seem to have a real grasp on who he is or where he is. So now another friend comes over to assess the damage because Sean's Sean's like pretty weirded out at this point. Scott has been doing now very many crazy things. Things that are just outside of the realm of what seems like normal drug use to me. Like he keeps just saying very wild stuff. My personal favorite was you talk backwards, therefore I'm afraid of green. You talk backwards, therefore I'm afraid of green. It sounds funny, but he was being serious. Try to imagine that. Accusatory and paranoid and vulnerable. That was the big takeaway for me because like one, that sounds like it could be like a hardcore lyric, you know, like you talk backwards, therefore I'm afraid of green. And also he just threw in a therefore too, like who does that? At this point, he's like a little bit more active. He's holding in his hand, like it was one of his bills that he had opened and was just like clutching. And in the other hand was a photo of Sean when he had dressed in drag for a performance in college. So he had like ruffled around the back bedroom and through Sean's stuff and found this photo that was like, had become like very important to him. And neither of us are touching that. Neither Sean or I are asking Scott about that. We don't even want to know the answers to why this is such an important photo to him right now in a moment that he didn't experience with the person that he didn't know at the time. So he's holding these two documents. He's wandering around. I I am less in the delusion of my like, everything's going to be fine now. I was like, okay, so stuff is strange. We're watching like one of those old like VH1 television shows. It was like the old cop show with like the guys on motorcycles. And he was like, he looks at it and then he turns to us and he's like, I'm afraid of Eric Estrada. And we're like, that is hilarious. (laughs) You know? They must have been watching I Love the 80s. Eric Estrada is the actor who played the motorcycle cop on the TV show Chips. 
so even in the moment, I was like, this is extremely funny now. I was like, but, but also like terrifying, you know, because someone's like freaking out. But, you know, like he had made a connection. He saw that we were watching something on the television. And I was like, I don't know. I was scared of Steve Perry when I was a child because I didn't like mullets. So maybe something's getting like shaken free in his frontal lobe. I don't know. But he makes a connection. He then leaves to scurry off to do whatever he's doing. So Janie's obviously making whatever feeble excuse is necessary to remain on her couch. Sean is scared and still debating sleeping at his responsible friend's house and then we have another friend over and we're like so what's happening do you think <laughs> and they didn't seem too worried about it we just needed another person to verify what was going on or just to like right. maybe like provide us some just to be like is this as weird as we think it is or like and he also didn't seem totally bugged out he like i mean like clearly he also thought it was weird but like not anything hyper concerning at the time so at this point sean is the only person that's totally on edge so Scott comes back out and we're still watching television and he addresses me by name. So I was like, okay, well, okay. shining recognition here. And, you know, I'm an English major. And he was like, Janie, have you ever read A Tree Grows in Brooklyn? And I was like, hey, this is a bizarrely normal start of a conversation. I love talking about books. And I was like, I have. And then he was like, I'm scared. And I was like, uh-huh. And he's like, I'm scared of a tree growing in Brooklyn. And I was like, okay, that's not the first book that would incite fear in me. It's getting late. The friend leaves. He says he'll call Janie later to make sure she's okay. Sean has made almost his decision about whether or not he's going to stay in the apartment because that's still up in the air for him. Still up in the air until one thing sends him over the edge. See, Scott sort of had this hobby. With all of his like extra money. Don't forget, Scott is a waiter and part-time drug dealer. He would buy like curious luxury things, like not like expensive clothes or meals, but he had a huge saltwater fish tank with like- with, Wait, like, Scott? Scott. Yeah, so it was like- He just <laughs> moved in for a couple months. He brought a big fish tank? A humongous saltwater fish tank. And like, not like, not like freshwater, but like salt, saltwater fish- require a huge deal of attention and tending to. And those tanks, they have to have entire filtration systems and you have to really tend to it to make sure that the pH balance, et cetera, like it's a whole thing. And those fish are expensive. And he's got like a whole, like all his little Finding Nemo fish in there. He's got the blue one and the orange one. And then he's got like a, the big one, like the tank cleaner one. And he's got one that looks like a shark. So there is like, there's probably like a thousand plus dollars worth of like fish and stuff over in the corner of this living room when we all are. And he comes back like with a purpose and he takes his grinder and he puts it in the fish tank. His grinder for his weed. Quick note from my mom. Mom, a grinder is a small circular device that you fill with weed buds to grind up and remove the stems. So Scott puts his grinder in his very expensive, very sensitive fish tank, which is now full of ground up weed. And we're like, okay, well, it's, I mean, it's just pot. Like, you know, maybe he thinks it's like, like fish food. Delusion! Then he circles back again and he's got a bottle of vodka and he upends the whole thing into the fish tank. And then Sean was like, okay, so I'm going to go. <laughs> He's like, you can stay here if you want, but I am not staying in this apartment tonight. And I was like, you know, the person that had just left agreed to call me later on at night. So I was like, hey, you know what? I've got a call coming in later on to make sure that everything is groovy. I mean, he's got to extinguish this energy flame that he's got going along. And, you know, he's just killed his fish. So like, maybe he's going to like go to the back and think about that for a little bit. So whatever. I don't know where I was in my brain at this point, except probably there was just like a combination of like, in intense laziness 
And I was like, I don't want to sleep on a couch in our friend's house in Ambler. Like, I'm not getting on a train in the middle of the night to, like, leave my apartment, you know? Like, I've had a long-ass day. You don't have to wake up at 6 every single day, and I'm going to have to wake up at 6 tomorrow to go to my job again. So I really don't want to do this. So that's where I was in terms of my necessary delusion. The necessary delusion being, like, I necessarily absolutely needed to believe that everything was going to be fine, because otherwise I would have been like, time for me to get the fuck out of this apartment. And Sean's like, okay, well, I'm going. He was like, I don't give a fuck. I'm leaving. Bye. So he goes. And at this point, Scott has just gone back to his room. And it's like a it's like a shut door. There are locks on the bedroom. So I can lock my door. So since Sean was sleeping out on the couch, he would not be able to like lock himself away. So he was gone. So there's no like judgment or begrudgment at all with that. It's my own fault. He's not going to drag me out of my own home. So the front door shuts and Sean gets on the train to head 45 minutes away to stay at their responsible friend's house. And just then, the scuttling sounds begin again to emerge from the back bedroom. To draw like an analogy or a character comparison, the scuttling in the apartment reminded me of like Templeton the Rat in Charlotte's Web, where it's just like, Mm, you know, like, like all, you know, like just like jittery, twitchy motions. So right on cue, Janie decides it's time for bed. I was like, I'm going to bed. Fuck it. I'm just crashing out. I'm not going to be hanging out in the living room trying to figure out what weird conversations I'm going to be having later on, especially if I don't have like my best friend with me. It was still early. She thinks maybe 930. And Janie's a small person. So it was time to lock herself in her tiny bedroom. So I go back to the bedroom, lock the door. Janie's bedroom was packed full of stuff. Mostly like little dresses, hand-me-down furniture from Sean and his parents, a big plastic television that was on the nightstand that was facing the bed, tons of knitting stuff around, and like books all over the place. With the ominous scuttling being muted through two locked doors and a hallway between them, it was pretty much a normal night as far as she was concerned. She watched TV. You know, I, I like to fall asleep to Law & Order SVU, so I'm sure that that's what was on, and I go to sleep. She goes to sleep, and a while later, she gets woken up by her friend's check-in phone call. It's the middle of the night now. She's not sure what time. So I wake up, I take the phone call. Like I'm right as rain. So at this point it's it's like late, late now. And I was like, yeah, you know, I went to bed. Nothing's happening. We're all good. I get off the phone and I was like, all right, well, I've got to pee. And I know that if I don't, I've never been one of those people that can just like sleep through it just to be like, I'll take care of it tomorrow. I know that like I'll fixate on it so much that like I won't be able to go to sleep. I'm like that too. And there's a, it's a very small bathroom. It's right across the hall from me. So I go into the bathroom. I close the door. Um, and, you know, like I pee. And the second that I do, the door flings open from the back. And Scott comes running from the bedroom. And I, like, bolt to the door. And he's taken a straight blade. And he's locked the door from the outside. So now I am locked in the bathroom. (laughs) I am locked in an extremely small bathroom. And then as like, I am now like completely shaken out of being asleep, I am like fully awake and my adrenaline's rushing. So I'm looking around the small bathroom and I notice that he has dumped all of the cat litter into the bathtub and decided to utilize the litter box for himself. And I was like, okay. And now I I am trapped in a bathroom with him standing right outside of the door with a blade that has locked me in. 
Will Janie get out of the bathroom? Will she remain prisoner to a delusional fish-murdering maniac? Will she be forced to utilize the cat box herself? Stay tuned after the break to find out, but first... 143 means I love you. You know the code, 143. I love you. It's the number of the letters in I love you. If you have love for the show and you want to support us, send us $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. Thanks, guys. I have a magazine called Hoot Review. Hoot Review? Yeah, like the sound an owl makes. H-O-O-T Review? Mm-hmm. Is this your magazine or you work at the magazine? Or It's a 501c3. I take writing from poets and prose writers under 150 words. I design art that goes along with it. I make it into a postcard and I mail it to subscribers once a month. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And we pay to subscribe to this? Yeah, yeah. I'm not that generous. I'm, I'm pretty broke. So That's really cool. <laughs> you do this totally independently. Yeah, yeah. It's just like something I do for fun. It's just one a month. Mm-hmm. So it's like a combination of like the ephemera of handwritten letters with the brevity of the internet. Like the, the name is a joke on Twitter. It's been going on for 10 years. So like when Twitter was really massively taking off, it was kind of like a joke on Twitter. If you want to hear more from Janie, you can go to hootreview.com. That's H-O-O-T review.com. For $15 a year, you can receive one of Janie's postcards every month and a couple of bonus postcards that she throws in for fun. It's about a dollar a card. Go to hootreview.com for more information. We are back. So it's like one of those old doors that have like a little slotty uh, locks. Do you know what I'm talking about? Nope. It's not like a twist. It's not a twist. A twist? It's like one of the like little move over ones. I cannot picture what she's talking about. So he's taken a blade and he's jammed it from the outside so I can't move it at all. So he's he's obscured the, the lock so I can't push it back. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. The point is, Scott has Janie locked in a bathroom in the middle of the night, and he is right outside the door with a knife saying creepy stuff to her. And he took a shit in the cat box? Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, go on. It was like a path the whole day from the time I got the phone call to this moment right now. From not taking Sean's warning seriously to putting on her jammies and ordering dinner to rolling her eyes as he poured an entire bottle of vodka in his fish tank to waving goodbye to her friends and watching Law & Order and leaving her cell phone in the bedroom just now as she came in to pee. It was like being led down a path. I'm at the end of it. And this, of course, is what is happening. What did I expect was going to happen at this point? Think about how powerful your laziness can be, Earth Monster. If I could harness my laziness, it could move mountains. Despite the screaming reality in front of her unraveling over the course of hours... It never stood a chance to her necessary delusion. I remember yelling his name and I was like, you're really freaking me out. Can you open this door? And then he started to say riddles that only he would know the answer to, to ask me to get out. He was like, I'm the right hand man. And I was like, God, this definitely sounds like the beginning of like an A&E special narrated by fucking Bill Curtis that is like the right-hand man killer, you know? Like, and I was like, fuck, oh, fuck. I am just months removed from moving from California to Pennsylvania. I work balls out in the suburbs for a very dissatisfying, low-paying job to now, after all of these warning signs, be locked in a bathroom by a person that is trying to riddle me out of here like I will ever be able to guess what the fuck he's saying. And I was like, I don't know what sort of drugs last for 16 hours but like okay clearly this is not drugs 
This is a much bigger problem. It should have been apparent hours ago, and it was not. Yes, it was. You just refused to see it. And now I am in this scenario. Maybe it was Janie's raging adrenaline, or maybe it was the overwhelming stench of human shit pushing her to stand at that door. But she threw herself at it over and over and over again to get out of the bathroom. And I just remember like fully throwing my body against the door while he was like repeating his cryptic nonsense. It didn't work. Maybe it was a good thing. What fate was waiting for her on the other side of that door anyway? Scott seemed to be frightened of everything that night, and the way he was dealing with his fear was aggression. Clearly he was involved in some kind of conflict with the cats, not to mention the fish. And why did he have a blade so readily available when he burst out of the bedroom? Janie threw her small body against the door. Scott loomed six feet tall outside. Just how dark was this story gonna get? The walls started to close in on her. The sour, stale, putrid stench filled her face. No phone, no friends, no plan for anyone to come back and check on her in the middle of the night. She could see the path that she had been walking so clearly now, and it led her into this bathroom to be trapped. As time passed, reality began to slip away. Or maybe it was coming into focus. She wasn't sure. She began to imagine Sean calling her in the morning and getting no answer. He would call three or four times, his panic building. He would yell at himself as he threw on his clothes and ran to the train. He wouldn't know the number to try her at work. Maybe he would call her parents or the cops. Or maybe he would just sit anxiously, shaking his leg on the train, trying to believe his own necessary delusion. That she dropped her phone in the toilet. He would climb the stairs at the apartment and open the door to find a crime scene in place of their living room. Scott would be long gone at that point. And Janie? Janie would be where? Stuck at the mercy of a maniac, and she had no one to blame but herself. Seconds passed like minutes, minutes passed like hours, strung together by the infuriating nonsense of Scott's ramblings. And then after forever, he unlocks the door and I burst out of there like a butterfly from a chrysalis. But I'm also like hysterically crying. And I was like, I am fucking frightened of you. You better get the fuck away from me. Like cursing my brains out, screaming and crying. He places whatever he locked me in the bathroom with, like at the door jam on top of it when I get out. And... Then he just goes back into the bedroom. I go into mine, lock the door, and then I know I still don't leave. I'm still in the apartment. How long had you been in the bathroom for, though? Like hours? No, no, no. no. I was gonna say it felt like forever, but like let's say realistically, it was probably like it was probably like ten minutes. But that's a long time to be locked in a bathroom with someone mumbling nonsense to you on the other side of it in the middle of the night. And then having all of the things that should have been warning signs become like very crystal clear for you. 10 minutes can feel like an eternity when you're like confronted with all of your missteps, (laughs) you know? What did he look like when you got out of the bathroom? He looked like extremely disoriented. Sweaty, scared, confused. Even the monsters are victims, guys. And this man was going through a journey that only he could see. He just looked pale and disoriented and like wild eyed. It must have been like almost like five o'clock in the morning at that point. No one else would be awake at this point. So I called my boss because I knew that she worked crazy early. And also she was a CRN. She was a registered nurse. When you work in nurse staff and you basically always have to have like a kind of on. And at this point, I had done so much for her personally. Like we had a much more personal relationship at that point, which, you know, there's also kinds of boundary problems with that. But it was one that I knew that if I called her one, she would be 
up. And even if she wasn't, she would take the phone call because she knew something would be up and that like, I would never cross that boundary unless something was was like problematic. And I was like, this is what I've experienced. And she was like, this doesn't sound like drugs. Just come to the office now and we'll figure it out from here. But you really can't stay in the apartment anymore. It was like the only time in my two years of working for her that she was ever lucid or helpful in a terrible moment. She was like, you're trying to take matters of behavioral health into your own hands right now by like assuming that it's just going to end. It's not going to end. It doesn't sound like it's drugs. And it sounds like he's potentially having a break from reality or something that's like much more significant in terms of like behavioral health medicine that you don't understand. And like, you can't just wish that away, essentially was what she was saying. Janie hung up the phone and got dressed. It was springtime in Philadelphia. She packed her giant bag, slipped out of the apartment quietly, and took her 90-minute commute to work. When I got to the home office, we spoke about it more in depth. She's asking me the details of what happened. And after that, I'm pretty sure she let me just crash out for a little bit. She let me just like sleep it off. And then I call Sean, who's with her responsible friends, who immediately knew what to do. Of course, the ones that he went to stay with. And they were like, why didn't you call his girlfriend? Scott had a girlfriend. So Janie goes to join her friends and they all return to the apartment. So now there's like a posse. So now there's the two adult friends that are married, Sean and myself. So they head back to the apartment together to assess this situation and hopefully call Scott's girlfriend to find out if and what drugs he might have taken before they obviously take him to the hospital. When we get back to the apartment, you know, the little computer pluggy ethernet spots, he has ripped them out of the walls. The sockets are destroyed. The cables are lying everywhere. So when we see all of the wires ripped out of our walls, he looks at us and he was like, there's a worm in the apple. And I was like, no one's got time for this. I was like, okay. So I don't know how we managed to contact the girlfriend, but the girlfriend finally comes over. If I was in a necessary delusion... I don't know what the fuck this person was dealing with. We were like, he's been like this for almost like a day and a half now. And she's like, no, he's been like this for like four or five days now. And we were like, what? (laughs) So he had been going into work, getting in the car, saying threatening things to like other employees and stuff like that. Needless to say, the girlfriend was sort of a character. She's like extremely space cadet sort of person. And I don't mean this like horribly. She's not someone that I would consider like a remarkable person. Like she would blend in well in a crowd. She wasn't like ugly or beautiful. She wasn't alternative or basic. She was just like someone, you know, she was a person. Scott's girlfriend lets him know that she doesn't know what's going on, but he has not taken any drugs. She's like, he's just been like this. And we're like, wow, that's super casual way to be feeling about this. Most of us are deeply concerned and you seem okay. My boss has assured me that this is like most likely like a behavioral health thing. First, they thought they might take him to the hospital themselves, but... We try to get him to get into the car with us to take him to the hospital. But he has made it very apparent that this was not a scenario that was going to be shaking out. So we call an ambulance to 302 him. 302 is like what? Like the psychiatric kind of thing? Like psychiatric intervention services against their will, I guess. So like the healthcare workers come to the door accompanied by a police officer. We were like, Scott, you've really got to like pull it together. He's got no shoes on. He's carrying Sean's magic the gathering cards at this point and when the ambulance worker and the the police officer comes in and we were like this is for you buddy he throws them on the floor and we're like no (laughs) 
all of this is happening. The girlfriend is still there, like, moon-eyeing around as though, like, it's just another kooky day. So he's getting questions. They're trying to see, like, how, like, together he is. They're just making sense of the situation. So I go over to, like, her because I don't want to be involved at all. We're, like, in the back part of the apartment. They're standing in Scott's master bedroom. At this point, I'm super tired. And it was, like, almost something out of a sitcom. So she turns to me and she unfurls a turkey bag filled with pot. It's, like, filled with weed. And she's like, should we be worried about this? And I was like, we should not have it out right now. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? So she opens the closet. (laughs) There are plants everywhere in the closet and all kinds of lights and like his little misting thing set up. It turns out Scott had a full grow room happening in the closet of the master bedroom. He does this, remember? He like grew weed in in closets. And now his quote moon-eyed girlfriend thought maybe they should tell the cops about it. Would that help? I was like, you need to stop this right now. (laughs) You know, this is 2007. Like we are not this liberal in Pennsylvania with like growing and having pot in the quantities of distributing and selling in someone's home at this point. And by the way, there's a cop in our living room. You need to stop this. We need to get him out of here. And like, we're pretending that this is not a part of our fucking life right now. Just like you pretended that there was nothing wrong with him for several days. Cause like, she's thinking like, maybe we let them know and maybe this is part of it. And I was like, do I drop kick her into the other room? Do I fulfill the cycle of locking people in rooms? No, I'm not like, so that's her delusion. We've got everyone there, him and the apple. There's wires that are all over the apartment at this point. By some sort of magic, several of the fish are still alive. The cats are still alive. The shark one died. And we found that out because we opened up the garbage and he was in it just at the very top. And I was like, poor dude. The other ones, they're kicking it. The medics are like, we need to get this guy the fuck out of here. We're taking him. And they were like, does anybody want to go in the ambulance with him? So we were like, girlfriends, put down this turkey bag of pot and get the fuck out of here. And she was like, no, I'll drive there with you guys. And I was like, great. (laughs) (laughs) Jenny hadn't been planning on going to the hospital. We were just going to be like, we've done our responsibility at this point. You are the person that cares for him. We don't even know this person very. I told you, we basically only knew him for maybe like three months. We don't want to be there. We, We want to drink a bottle of wine to the face and pretend like none of us made the decision to live with this poor man. Delusion! So now we're driving her there. And she's like, this couldn't have happened at like a worse time because I need to tell him that I'm pregnant. Just given that a moment to settle in, Moon Eyes is pregnant with Shark Killer's baby. Real life, huh, folks? And I was like, yeah, we're not going to be there for that conversation. You know that, right? As you tell a person who's probably getting spinal tapped that like they're also going to be a father. We're throwing you out of the moving car if absolutely necessary. Like, we're going to be getting drunk at the TGI Fridays (laughs) near the Abington Hospital. So goodbye, girlfriend. And then subsequently, Scott, from our lives, we're going to drink this away for years. So he moved out shortly after? (laughs) Like, do we have any (laughs) aftermath? Did you ever get like a final sort of answer on like what had been going on with him? No. So to give Scott his due, like he was hospitalized for a long ass time too. 
he comes to the apartment to get his stuff and he's completely not all there you know like he's not all together with it and he's also like emotionally processing the fact that that's how he found out that he's going to be a father too and like he is he was young he's in his 20s he wasn't even a place where he could take care of those cats as i said that he had so that's how i ended up getting these cats it was like he was just like i can't even take care of these right now and i was like bro you're gonna be taking care of like a baby pretty soon though did you want the cats no I didn't. I mean, I ended up uh, like loving them. And one of them lived with me for 10 years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love those two cats. That cat was my best friend. I was obsessed with that cat. Janie, how do you think this experience influenced your sort of laissez-faire attitude towards things? Did you maintain that sort of outlook on life after that? Stuff like this has repeated itself with me so often that I'm just like, that's how the world works, I guess. Delusion! Let's say two years in the future. My brother comes to town and he wants to go to this historic restaurant in Old City. And sure as the fucking day is long, the busboy is Scott. I want to thank Janie Canarella for telling her story today. And she told it so well, didn't she? Janie, I hope you will come back with more delusions for us in the future. If you want to hear more from Janie, you can go to hootreview.com. That's H-O-O-T review.com. For $15 a year, you can receive one of Janie's postcards every month and a couple of bonus postcards that she throws in for fun. It's about a dollar a card. Go to hootreview.com for more information. Thank you for being here with me, Earth Monster. I do so appreciate your support. If you're listening every week and you haven't written us a review yet, then please do. It really helps us find our audience. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and tell a friend about us. If you want to support us on Venmo, then 143 means I love you. You can send $1.43 to at your necessary delusion on Venmo. If you have a necessary delusion of your own and you think that we need to hear it, you can email me at yournecessarydelusion at gmail.com or you can reach out to me on Instagram at yesmatthew. We have new stories coming out every Monday. You're definitely not going to want to miss next week for a story that I'm calling Marathon Liar. I was not a runner at all. Like I, at the time, I think the last time I had run a mile was in like grade school when we ran the mile. (laughs) I was a kid who had a slight scoliosis. I had flat feet and wore like inserts. So that I'm telling this person that I have a super crush on like, oh yeah, I'm thinking of entering the LA marathon. (laughs) And she goes, Oh, cool. Go to RyanFine.com, click on custom songs for any of your musical needs. And a big thanks, as always, to Paola Monterde, the love of my life, for listening to me talk about this podcast so often. We'll see you next time. Janie, give us a teaser because you know that I'm going to beg you to do this whole thing over again. I'm going to send you the microphone. You're going to be a fan favorite. I don't even know where to start. There's so many at this point that like, I don't even, it's, uh, one time I accepted a ride from a stranger in Center City that was like at the bar with me and my friend. And the entire drive, they talked about how LSD was going to be curing nightmares, which I actually think is a thing. But before they were dropping me off, They were like, what size shoe do you wear?
I didn't ask why. In my brain, I was like, what a strange question. And instead, I said it. They drop me off, then reach over and give me a box of shoes. I go into my apartment, where I now live by myself, and I open them up, and they are a pair of used women's running shoes. And I was like, this couldn't be anything more ominous. Like, either I am now being implicated in a murder, because, like, I've got them, like, I've got the trophy, or, like, this is going to be a weird saw thing where I am now supposed to wear the shoes. <laughs> you know, like, so that's just wow. one. That's just one of those. 